Ahoy, Buck fans! Are ye looking for a different kind of podcast that centers on the yellow-bellied opponents? Well, you've come to the right place. Get ready for an enjoyable, in-depth look back at the important moments, historical facts, and games for the Buccaneers against this week's opposition. It's the No Quarter Given podcast on the BuckPower.com podcast network. Now, let's get started with your co-hosts, Jason Powers and Peter Blake. Buccaneer fans, it is the No Quarter Given podcast divisional episode, episode week of, boys, is it 1979? Are we going to party like it's 1979? We have the Eagles who we dispose of in round one. And now we get to see the Los Angeles Rams in round two. Welcome to the podcast, folks. I'm your host, Jason Powers, back in Tampa, not in Colorado this week. We have Paul Stewart back with us from London at about, what, 10.30, 11.30 London time? Something like that? Uh, 11.30, 11.30. I'm about 150 miles from London these days. Yep. <laughs> TJ Reeves in, in Tampa, Peter Blake in Clearwater. Welcome back, boys, to a winning edition of the no quarter given podcast absolutely i don't want to party like it's 1979 i actually want to party like it's 2022 because <laughs> yeah that 79 team was great uh, but they ended up losing against the uh, la rams so uh, let's change that trend let's break that curse paul stewart yeah i mean party like it's 1999 as prince said i mean obviously both the championship games against the rams were not good ones the bucks came out loose as both times but there are of course amazing stories about both of them and we'll be talking later in the podcast to dave more about his experiences from the game in in the uh, st louis dome in 99 yeah buccaneer fans we're gonna have dave moore 13 year buccaneer player 15 year nfl vet current analyst for the Buccaneer Radio Network is going to join us to talk reminisce 1999, 2000, his playing experience in the playoffs and all that good stuff. But before we get to Dave, go ahead, TJ Reeves. Well, I, I just have to say this. He is fantastic to join us. The stories are great. You're going to want to stay tuned for him talking about trying to block Reggie White in his career, what it was like to play in that wild 11-6 to game in the NFC title game. But also you'll want to hear from him we go from all of the crowd noise like we saw, and wasn't it great last week at Raymond James Stadium? Buck fans, battle flags, the crowd noise. He and I and Gene Deckerhoff were on Buccaneers Radio in an empty stadium last year during the playoffs in the wild card, divisional, and NFC Championship round. So you'll hear what Dave uh, has to say about how surreal all of that was, that while the Bucs were winning all those road playoff games, we're sitting watching on TV, doing it remotely. It's crazy. It's surreal a year ago, and it's just good. To, I just wanted to say it's good to have the Buck fans back and involved and be there early and be there loud on Sunday against the Rams, Jason. I was in the building. I was fortunate enough to get a ticket Sunday morning late. I sat in the pirate ship area, so I was standing on my feet. It was it was electric. It was a very, there was very few Eagle fans in the building, which made it even better. And I think you're going to see a big turnout this Sunday as well, three o'clock, Raymond James Stadium. Not a lot of Rams fans will probably be in the building, I don't think. Peter Blake, just a quick impression from last week's game against the Eagles, a dominant performance, 31-15 final. Yeah, urgency, urgency, urgency on the offensive end. Defense played better. Again, Shaq Barrett, JPP, Levante David coming back, stuffing the run game. To me, if they can continue this, uh, they can go a long way. Paul Stewart, you're new from, from England. 
last week. Buccaneers get it done in emphatic fashion. Yeah, it was a pretty comfortable win. As I said, it was it was um, the first two the first well the first quarter first two scoring drives set the tone for the rest of the game. But of course, the Eagles were one of the weaker teams in the playoffs. Now we're coming to the better teams, and the Rams are a very very good team. Let's go back to 1979, Paul Stewart. Tell us about the again BuckPower.com. Paul Stewart's uh, pride and joy. He's the author and creator of that. We just hit the 20-year anniversary of BuckPower.com. Let's talk about 1979, Paul. So this was the year the Bucks had gone from worst to first. They'd won the NFC Central Division title. No one expects them to do it. They then played the Philadelphia Eagles in their first ever playoff game, beat them 24-17, a game that wasn't that close. And that put them in the championship game because surprisingly Dallas got turned over by the Rams, which meant the Bucs hosted the NFC championship game. They took on the Rams. They'd already played them earlier that year in a game we featured on the BuckPower.com podcast network. And a lot of people thought the Bucs could win this. You know, everyone expected the Pittsburgh Steelers were going to win the AFC, which they did. The Bucs would be playing the Steelers for the Super Bowl, a real worst to first. Unfortunately, it didn't work out that way. The Bucs lost 9-0, a score actually we had a game this year, the very scoreline. Leroy Selman got hurt, but more importantly, Doug Williams injured his yep. shoulder in the third quarter. He went off the field. He came back out in street clothes, which unfortunately had a bit of a sort of, you know, downing effect on the offense. The Bucs did reach the end zone on a pass from Mate Ray. It was called back on a penalty, and the Bucs were held scoreless. They ended up one game short of the Super Bowl. TJ, well, one thing... One thing that we want to illuminate here, there's some history, 79 and 99, and now with this year in the playoffs with the Rams, and even some regular season history that you're going to hear about with Dave Moore as well. These franchises are intertwined, and you're not going to find a better resource, Buck fans, as you get ready for the game. Go back and relive some of these moments we're talking about, uh, including the wild 2000 Monday night football game. Yes. Go to buckpower.com and relive all of this on Paul's site, Jason. Absolutely. And like I said, we're going to we're going to talk to Dave Moore. You're going to hear Dave talk about 99 in-depth stuff about being a player, the brutality of losing a game one game from the Super Bowl. Peter Blake, as we headed, we had some injury issues. Tristan Wirfs, Jensen was hurt. How do you think that's going to play into this week's matchup with the Rams? If they have the opportunity to play, they're going to play. But if not, then the Bucs are going to definitely have to adjust. And you look at that pass rush the other night versus the Cardinals, Aaron Donald, Von Miller, Leonard Floyd. So the Bucs have their work cut out for them. So hopefully those offensive linemen play. Paul, I was impressed with the defensive effort last week. The, the, the deep, the pass rush was there. The secondary, your thoughts on the defense. Seems like they're pretty healthy. Back in the yeah, mix. what I was interested to see was how many times they went with a three safety set. So Winfield and Whitehead, the normal starters, were joined by Mike Edwards. So they were playing five defensive backs, but with three safeties. And it was an interesting wrinkle that Todd Bowles put out there. Now, having Levante David back in the middle helped stop the run game, but it's really the Rams have got a big passing game. It'll be interesting to see what they can do. But now the Bucs have all their cornerbacks healthy, which they didn't in week four. They were playing anybody off the street in that yes. game, which is why the Rams had a lot of yardage. This week they're healthy, and I can see Todd Bowles coming up with some uh, interesting schemes for him. 
And one more thing, three of the four playoff games this weekend involve revenge. 49ers looking for revenge for a loss on the Packers. The Bucks looking for revenge on a loss to the Rams. And then also the Bills beat the Chiefs. So the Chiefs right. looking for revenge at home in that game. So revenge is another angle. The Rams intertwined with the Buccaneers all time in the playoffs is another angle. And you get this game at home. We'll talk more about this with Dave, about what the atmosphere was like. But this is why when you kept winning at the end of the year, you wanted the second week playoff game yes. at home. You got it. Now you need to take advantage of it, Buccaneer fans. Be there loud and affect this game coming up. And the little thing, I know this is not a big thing, but a little thing, they played Monday night. So one, one day less of preparation flying cross country back to the Eastern time zone. So you lose a little bit of time there. Maybe that's a factor real quick, TJ, from a strategic perspective, do you, do you focus all the coverage on Cooper cup? What do you focus on? If you're the Buccaneer defense, do you try to stop the run first or do you really roll the coverage to Cooper cup? OBJ's playing better. Your thoughts. Oh, I think just real quick, you got to stuff the run with cam Akers and how good he looked. It's probably going to be Carlton Davis on Odell Beckham. Coop has, Cooper Cup has been a Buccaneer killer in every matchup, going even back three years ago, three seasons ago. Let's see if they can if they can contain him, get the pass rush, get it rolling uh, early on in this game. I'm looking forward to it, guys. Peter, offensively, Peter and Paul, what do you think the Bucs need to do offensively quickly? Run the ball, take the pressure off of Tom Brady, open up that pass, play action, and try to get Gronkowski involved because those linebackers are very questionable. And their safeties, they got guys coming off the street playing safety. Yep. Eric Weddle and company. Yep. So I think that's a Paul Ma Paul Stewart, you go. Yeah, I'm all for big omens. And earlier this week, the Tampa Bay Lightning destroyed the LA Kings. So <laughs> Tampa's already won over Los Angeles this week. I'm expecting a bit more of it on Sunday. Love Give me it. a Say no more. Say no more. We're good. Give me a prediction, Peter Blake. 31-27 Tampa Bay. Paul Stewart. How's your golf game? Uh, my golf game is really good, but the Bucks are going to be even better. We're going to pipe them 31-20. TJ, I know you're not going to give a prediction, but remember, Buck fans, if we win and the 49ers win championship Sunday in Raymond James Stadium, stay tuned. Dave Moore is coming up right after this commercial break, and let's go, Bucks. We'll see you in just a couple of minutes. See you, Buck fans. We'll be right back to the podcast in just a minute. Now a word from our sponsor, BetUS. Hey, guys and girls, with the college bowl games in full swing and the NFL playoffs fast approaching, you need a sports book with integrity and longevity like BetUS. As you may or may not know, BetUS has been pioneers in the sports book industry for almost three decades, thriving, and most importantly, paying their loyal customer base. That is BetUS.com. They have loads of bonuses available to you. Join now or call 1-800-69-BET-US. That is 1-800-MY-BET-US. You will receive 125% of a sign-up bonus by using the bonus code, promo code 125. Not 50, not 75, not 100, but 125%. They have re-up re and referral bonuses as well. BetUS is known as America's favorite sports book for a ton of reasons. BetUS has all of your NBA, NHL games with team and player props and loads of NFL odds and plays. You can bet UFC matches, UFC props, PGA Tour golf, PGA Tour golf round matchups, and live betting on most sports. The online casino has hundreds of games, and the racebook has all of your favorite horse tracks from around the country. 
They have every bet type imaginable, and the BetUS mobile platform is easy with full betting options. Follow my lead and get your phone, online, and social sports betting partner with integrity and longevity like I did. BetUS. You bet, you win, and more importantly, you get paid. BetUS. And remember our promo code XXXX. BetUS, where the game begins. All right, welcome back to the No Quarter Given podcast. I'm your host, Jason, with Peter Blake. TJ Reeves has been with us, Paul Stewart, and we have a very special guest, a longtime Buccaneer, 13-year Buccaneer player, Mr. Dave Moore. Dave's been on the broadcast of the Buccaneer Radio Network now in his 15th year, working alongside TJ Reeves and Mean Gene Deckerhoff, the former Pitt Panther. Dave Moore, back in the day, played, uh, again, 15-year NFL career. 13 of those are with the Buccaneers. So, Dave, welcome to the No Quarter Given podcast, sir. Well, I, I appreciate the opportunity to sit here and talk with you guys. I appreciate you having us. And, and you we're all left out, again. if I can interrupt, you left out Roxbury High School's Dave Moore from Jersey, <laughs> then yes. to Pitt, then to the Buccaneers. We love getting that in whenever we can, 83. Now, we're, now we're Dave, were you, were you a consultant with Saturday Night Live late night at the Roxbury? <laughs> <laughs> that was a different I'm not sure Roxbury. where that came from, but you know, obviously uh, Roxbury's drawn a lot of attention since then. Yes. Well, well, I was going to ask him if you could do the dance. Like, we'll, right. we'll, 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 we'll <laughs> yeah, he is doing well, it. I've seen the, it plenty of times. And remember, <laughs> Buccaneer fans, you can check out the uh, the video podcast on the Powers on Sports uh, YouTube channel where you can see TJ, Paul Stewart from England. I'm in Tampa. Peter's in Clearwater. Dave Moore's in St. Pete. Global. Last week, Dave, I was in Steamboat Springs, Colorado, doing this at 12 midnight. And uh, so <laughs> we had a back. Yeah. So appreciate that. All right, Dave Moore, give me a quick thought on the Eagles last week. Wild card matchup. You were in the booth. The game was a it was a beatdown in, in epic proportions. I think the game was over. I think the first 10, 12 minutes of the game. Your thoughts? Well, yeah, TJ and I talked about it before the game. The biggest thing was the Bucs needed to come out and start fast. You know, they had a tendency uh, in recent weeks to be slow in Philadelphia, watching the film and following them. As the game goes on, they got stronger. So we were talking about that in a big way to be able to generate a run game, be able to protect Tom Brady. The biggest thing on defense was to be able to contain Hurts. Yes. Once he got outside the pocket, he was able to do damage with both his legs and throwing the ball down the field by extending plays. But, you know, welcome back Shaq Barrett, JPP. They did a great job of keeping him in the pocket, and then the coverage guys did their part. So defensively, they did a tremendous job, and it was all that we hoped for. And offensively, you know, a lot more reps for these younger receivers that are stepping in making plays. Unfortunately, you know, a couple of the offensive linemen, you know, hurt their ankles. And that's obviously the big question mark moving forward. They were able to get through the game. You know, Philadelphia was the last in the league in, in creating sacks, but they wound up having four against Tom Brady, who's the least sacked quarterback in the league. So obviously a concern. Obviously the Rams are looking at that, getting ready to tee off on this offensive line. So hopefully those guys are healthy. That's going to be a big question mark. All right, TJ, real quick, your, your perspective from field level. Any Was there any, I don't know, trepidation or any, you know, the, the Bucks played very confident. I like they, they came out in that no, hurt, that no huddle offense, that first drive, went right down the field and scored. Just your thoughts from the sidelines. 
I, I thought that the key was not just the opening touchdown drive. When they got the ball back again later in that first quarter and scored again and made it 14 nothing. you don't want to say it's completely over. Uh, we have to be careful about that. But, man, you're in great shape with Tom Brady at home, turn the defense loose. And, Dave, we can't overemphasize enough. I know Jason and Peter, uh, J- Peter was watching. Paul was obviously watching late night in England. Jason was there in the north end zone by the pirate ship. That place was electric and wow. loud. And it was a big factor once it became 14 nothing. correct, Dave? Uh, without a doubt. And, and we were talking about it. It was, it was such a special experience because last year, yes, what they were able to do was unbelievable. But it was if there was anybody in person, it was limited. And even the Super Bowl, you know, they gave a lot of tickets away. And each team had to get their small allocation. It just wasn't the same experience from both a fan standpoint and a player being on that field feeling the energy of the crowd being involved in a ball game. And when you're out there and, and, you know, your defense makes a play or you make a play on offense and you can just feel that crowd uh, and and how intense that noise becomes, you know, when you're the away team, that's challenging to be able to, you know, to communicate and and do your job and, and try to dismiss all that because it becomes overwhelming. Dave, as a, as a player, talk to the fans about your experience. And you were a guy that was always on the end of the line. You weren't right next to the quarterback here. Yeah, no, audibles, all that stuff. How did you, when you were in a hostile environment, like a Arrowhead Stadium, like a Chicago, Green Bay, how did you right. handle those things during the week? And how, how did the Buccaneers practice those kind of things? Well, I mean, they, they practice it. They come out with big speakers and they'll put them right behind the offensive huddle and they'll blare it up. And some of the coaches like to use crowd noise. Others like to use music. You know, um, but it's it's tough. I mean, when you're on the road, and especially in a run game, you know, you go to the silent count, uh, the passing situations. But when you're at the end of the line with your hand down and you're trying to watch the ball with one eye and figure out who you got to block with the other, and watch Reggie White with the yeah. other eye, <laughs> he always lined up real wide. So you had to be like a lizard and have eyes on both sides of your head because you couldn't watch the ball. So you were always late. <laughs> And then by being late, he was so fast off the ball, he was already up the field before you got out of your stance. So it's extremely difficult in the running game. I always like to be in motion or off the ball if possible, but a lot of times it didn't work out that way. But very, very difficult, not from a communication as far as uh, your responsibilities because you create hand signals and stuff for that, but just getting off the ball on time, you know, getting a jump on a route in a passing game when you know there's a guy has your man-to-man and you're trying to beat him off the ball. Um, you know, they get the fair advantage. I mean, it's, it's very difficult. And that's why you see guys, you know, leave early and, and twitch and do all kinds of things uh, due to the crowd noise. So playing at home uh, this time of year is invaluable as far as giving you that fair advantage. Peter Blake, go. Yeah, I mean, going back to Reggie White here, Dave, was that your toughest assignment? And talk about that a little bit. And if it wasn't, if it wasn't the minister of defense, who was it? Uh, yeah, Reggie White was, but people still ask, and I'm like, Reggie White, without a doubt. Now, listen, uh, we played him twice a year when he was in Green Bay. I was the fullback. I was in motion. I lined up on that tight end, and I came in motion one time, and I thought I got him. You know, I, I, he started to give, and all he did was reset his hands and walk me right back into the backfield. He was a guy that no matter what you – and he – listen, he didn't tape his hands, his fingers – he looked like he got off his couch, threw his shoulder pads on, and walked out in the field. You see these guys with the boxing tape job and all this fancy stuff. He didn't wear gloves. He didn't have a stitch of tape on him. 
he just basically got up, put his shoulder pads on, and came out to play. I remember playing in Green Bay, and Scott Dill uh, was offensive tackle, and I went out on a pass route, and I came back, and on my way back, Reggie White's yelling and pointing at him, and he's like, Jesus Christ loves you, and I walked back to the huddle. I was like, what'd you do? He goes, I cut him, and he didn't know I was coming. So that was first down. So second down, he sacked the quarterback. Third down, he sacked the quarterback. And on fourth down, he blocked the punt and defense safe. So needless to say, they tried never really to, to get the guy too angry at you because he would completely dominate a game when he wanted to. The best part about him, though, is he didn't play very hard every play. So most of the time on third downs, when he decided to play, I was on a pass route. But in a run game, you, could, you couldn't move him if he didn't want you to move. Wow. All right, is that the most, I'm sorry. Is that the well, most important, the mo- most important component to this Bucks offense versus the Rams? Because you talk about Aaron Donald and Leonard Floyd, and of course Von Miller. When you have that running game, then you can keep that pass rush off of a Tom Brady, in your opinion. Without a doubt, down and distance is a big thing. So being productive on first down is really a, a big component of the game plan. How are you going to do that? Now it can be run, it can be pass. You know, Tom Brady will be patient. He'll take the check down, but it's it's imperative that they don't get in those third and, you know, eight to 10, because at that point, and especially due to the health of the offensive line right now, you know, knock on wood, they were healthy all year long. And now they got two, obviously the all pro right tackle is tough duty, but now you're getting down inside where Aaron Donald will line up at all four positions along that defensive line. So if they feel like there's a weakness, they're just going to move them around and put them there. But w- without a doubt, um, protecting Tom Brady is going to be the key. And everybody knows, you know, that's really the only way um, to slow down Tom Brady is not give him enough time to dissect your defense. Because we heard Bruce Arians talking about the last couple of weeks, you know, if he figures out what you're doing and everybody has a little wrinkle they put in the game plan and usually halfway through the first quarter, he's got that figured out. And if he has time, you know, whether it's, you know, Antonio Brown out there, Godwin, you know, Tyler Johnson, Scotty Miller, whoever's out there, he's going to find the guy that has the best matchup and get it to him. But the only way to really slow him down is really not give him the opportunity to sit back there and, and pick your defense apart. And Aaron Donald is a tough guy to move, kind of like what you were talking about with Reggie White. That's going to be a challenge. But this is a retro podcast. This is looking yes. back on the history. <laughs> and we got to bring in the unofficial historian, Paul Stewart, who's been dying to talk about 1999 and the divisional round with the then Washington Redskins scoop. The floor is yours to ask Dave Moore a couple of things about 99. Well, something, first of all, I'm going to go through my video archive and look for clips of you trying to block Reggie White now, Dave. So expect to see that on Twitter in the next couple of days. So, yeah, I don't, I don't know if I ever successfully, my attempting to block him, you'll probably see a lot of it. <laughs> but yeah, going back, just going back briefly to last week against Philadelphia, yes, Tom Brady had four sacks, but they were very much a case of him going down yes. before the pass rush got to him. So he was getting the ball out in two seconds, and the phrase that we used sort of jokingly was, he was getting the ball out faster than a pair of Indian mating pigeons, because for you, those of you who don't know that, that's pretty fast. So he was doing that. It was very much a case of, look, get it out. If he's not there, take it. We know we've got the we know we've got the defense to hold this. That's not the problem. So I'm not too worried about the four sacks we took last week. Obviously, the rounds are different. But yeah, going back to 99, I mean, the, the championship game in St. Louis, it was then. I wasn't calling that game for British TV. I was working off camera. But what are your memories of the uh, the Bertie Manual play, Dave? 
Oh yeah, that was that was it in um, when I was in the Rams, right? Correct, so we, the Rams game. Uh, that's yeah. when they scored. We were in a two-minute drill, and Bert Emanuel had caught the ball right down the middle. We rushed back to the line, got up. It was like a non-factor. Like nobody even questioned whether or not it was a catch at that particular time. And then they came back and said that it was not. And everybody was extremely confused on the sideline in conversation like, that was a catch. It caught the ball. Now, yes, the ball touched the ground. And obviously, we all know the history after that. They changed the rule. But during the game, it was never uh, – and, you know, you see offenses all the time. Like, if it's a questionable catch, they're going to rush to the line. They're going to snap the ball as quickly as they can, even if it's a run, just to make sure that the play stands. But we didn't – we just went on about – our normal business in the, in the hurry up style of offense, because it was, it was in our minds, it wasn't a, a questionable catch at all. So that, you know, obviously, you know, became a huge factor. Um, and talk about loud that yeah. place, TJ, I don't remember if you were there or not, but that place, they were pumping it over the loudspeaker. I mean, we were on the sideline and I was physically yelling at Clyde Christensen trying to communicate uh, what personnel and what plays we were going to run for the upcoming drives. I mean, I, it was insane loud. And I was not there that day, but I know you guys have talked about that in terms of the dome environment, et cetera, trying to be able to hear or whatever. Um, and again, I think a lot of the, the Tampa Bay area feels like we owe the Rams one for the nine, nothing NFC title game in 1999. And then 11 to six in the, in the then TWA dome against the St. Louis Rams. I don't know if you agree with that. 83 don't, do we owe the Rams one right about now in the playoffs? Oh, after without, without a, yeah, without a doubt. And we owe them for one back in September that yes. the Bucks didn't play particularly well out there. Dang. Um, but yeah, without a doubt. Dave, I'm going to ask you something as a player. That 99 game, it was the first kind of big run that the Buccaneers had back to deep into the playoffs. You were the de- it was the defense of you guys versus the greatest show on turf with Kurt Warner and all those guys. What kind of brutal finality was it when you lose a game that way, 11 to 6? You had the catch by Prol down the sidelines, the no catch by Bert Emanuel that went against you guys, and you lose the game 11 to 6. What is the brutal finality of a game like that when you're one step away from the Super Bowl? Well, listen, you know, we knew as an offense after that game that for the defense to do what they did and hold them to 11 points with a tremendous throw and catch, that ball couldn't have been placed in a better spot. And that ball, I don't know that he ever got two hands on it altogether. Um, But to not be able to produce enough offense to outscore somebody you give up 11 to with a high-powered offense like that was, you know, it was very frustrating. And then obviously there were some changes made offensive coordinator-wise and stuff after that. But, you know, we, we had come a long way to be able to get there and our expectations were able were to move the ball uh, better. But remember, we were a run team and, and that noise that we talked about earlier in this podcast, that's a factor. When, when you are – reacting to the guy on defense coming off to you, you're not going to win the line of scrimmage. And that's where it becomes extremely difficult. And, you know, you look at this Philadelphia game this past weekend, they were the number one rushing team coming into this game. And the Bucs had not really done a great job stopping a run recently. But you put that noise uh, out there and, and have these guys try to get off the ball on time and be able to be physical and 
attack the defense on their side of the line of scrimmage, it becomes very challenging to do that in a, in a loud environment. Um, and then obviously we just didn't generate enough passing game. We had, you know, that was the year we lost Paul Gruber, you know, left tackle in, um, you know, the game we won a division in Chicago and then we wound up losing Jason Odoms earlier in the year. So we're without both of our starting right tackles. Um, and that's why we relied on a run as much as we did. Uh, but, you know, I mean, it, it, there's no excuse. I mean, you got to find a way to, you know, win a game and move the ball regardless of the crowd and who's showing up to play. Every team's dealing with it now with the, with the injuries. You can see it. And just being one step from the Super Bowl as an athlete. Yeah, I mean, you're talking four and a half minutes. You know, I mean, it came down to the end, too. Yeah. And it was that they were saying before we went into the game, like, all right, if we win, we're going to land on the play, uh, coming home from St. Louis, and we got to be back at the facility by, you know, nine o'clock the next morning to get on a plane to, you know, to, to fly to the Super Bowl. So, you know, it was one of those where you didn't have that week in between. So it right. was going to be like a boom, boom, turnaround. And, and have to get ready to go play. Do you know uh, something? Yeah. I've never watched a single play of that Super Bowl. I refuse to do it. I didn't cover it for British TV. I've never seen anything <laughs> of that because I was so upset about it. Well, well we appreciate your loyalty, The Rams, Paul, the Rams Titans <laughs> Super Bowl. Yes, Atlanta. Uh, that was Atlanta. Peter Blake, talk about the 2000 Monday night game. Well, I mean, that was revenge. I mean, I, you guys, the, the whole team. I mean, I talked to one of your former teammates in Chidi Ohanatu when I said Rams. He got upset. Uh, you had to, you had to have that emotion in 2000, right? I mean, that whole team at that point. And there was still, at that juncture, a playoff spot on the line. Talk about that big-time win on Monday Night Football. Right. And, and that just kind of shows you that the difference. Talk about a loud stadium. That's about, you know, even – in today's measures, it was about as loud as Raymond James had ever been. People were on their feet the whole time. Of course, some big plays with the work done and, you know, Sean King and, you know, the defense making plays. And, you know, that was more of an exciting offensive game as far as score for score. So from a fan standpoint, probably more exciting to watch. But it's just a great football game. And, you know, two teams that, you know, well, at least we felt like, you know, uh, we owed them for that for sure and, and certainly played like it and found a way to win in the end. And, and what's incredible is that game went from 11-6 and 99 to 38-35 in 2000. <laughs> right. On exactly night. right. I mean, just yeah. an absolute Monday night classic yeah. of, of epic proportions. Go ahead, TJ. Uh, I wanted to share one more while Dave is here just for another couple of minutes. So we have done these games. Dave has played in them at the highest level with all the crowd. And then we had the most bizarre of circumstances in 2020 where we end up because of the COVID-19 guidelines, not traveling. And there were a few fans at some of the Buccaneer games, a few thousand fans. But then for last year, when the divisional round playoff game happened with New Orleans and then the NFC title game happened with Green Bay, Dave, relate this. It's crazy where we're sitting in an empty Raymond James Stadium calling the game off TV <laughs> while watching yeah. this, like all the fans are watching on TV. Relate what that was like for you because yeah. it's surreal even to talk about it to this day for me. Well, for sure. And it, it was hard. I mean, you know, I'm sitting there and in between plays, I'm looking out in the field with the sprinklers going. And the lights are off. You know, they have it barely lit up to see what's going on. And, you know, we're trying to figure out what's going on from two computer monitors. You know, I got to watch one to see the whole field and then kind of see who I'm looking at because they all look like ants on the other video. But, you know, it, it very, it, it was 
frustrating because, you know, you wanted to feel the excitement of, of being at the game and, um, you know, getting a feel for, you know, how things were going in person. You can feel momentum a lot better uh, than, than, you know, trying to watch it on a, you know, TV monitor. But uh, that's why I was saying in the beginning that, you know, this Philly game was really such a great experience, especially for the fans who have been so loyal. And, you know, yes, they got to see on TV their their team make it and win the Super Bowl. But at the same time, you know, those diehard people that go every year and every game, you know, weren't able to go and experience any of them in person unless, you know, they were lucky enough to get one of the few seats that were available. And TJ, you got to interact with the 1979 Ron Jaworski who the Bucks took care of in 79, courtesy of Leroy Selman and company. Tell tell your quick Ron Jaworski story. So Jaws was doing the game on national radio last week, not the Eagles broadcast. And by the way, the Eagles broadcasters were not there because of the COVID-19 flare-up. That's right. Merrill Reese and Mike Quick, who do the Eagles games, they did not travel to Tampa for the playoff game. As it turned out, it it saved them uh, misery in person and a miserable flight back as it turns out. Uh, But Jaws was there doing the game nationally for uh, Westwood One. We talked, Dave Moore, on this podcast, Paul, Jason, and Peter and I, about the 79 win, the first ever playoff win in franchise history over Jaws and the Eagles. And he remembered all everything about it. He said, I remember several things. It was hot. He goes, I remember those orange uniforms. He goes, I remember Leroy Selman killed me like three different, three or four different times. Uh, Leroy was sacking him. So it was just great to see Jaws. And that's hard to believe, Paul Stewart, that that was 42 years ago. And the wild part, Paul, pick up on this. The Bucks beat the Eagles that week and the next week played in the NFC Championship game against? The Los Angeles Rams, who they'd already played earlier in the year as well. <laughs> it's crazy that? twilight zone that we're playing the Rams again uh, this week. It's, it's, uh, it's wild stuff. There's no doubt about that. Well, Dave, we're going to let you go here. Go into your closet, get your warmest winter coat because you're going to Lambeau. Hopefully, maybe not. Maybe if there's an upset, we might be hosting. But potentially, get that warm gear out for that trip to Lambeau next Sunday The trip that we missed a year ago, 83, in in Lambeau in the NFC title game could be coming, depending on what happens this weekend. If the Bucs win, maybe going to Lambeau. Now we're going there to experience all of it. We may get the right, do-over. We may get the great. mulligan well, day. Well, we we played after the last win in Raymond James Stadium. We beat the Detroit Lions in the playoffs. Tony Dungy's second year, I believe. Right. Uh, 1997. And then we went to Green Bay. And at that time, I want to say the temperature was nine and the feels like was three. And it was like the fifth coldest game in Green Bay at that time. And we wound up losing up there on the road. But what a great experience that was to go play a playoff game in Green Bay. Really, we played them for the third time that season. Remember? Yeah. Yeah, unfortunately, we lost all three of them. Yep, unfortunately. (laughs) Yeah, actually, you're right. But – but a win last year at Lambeau, who knows what could happen if it works out that way. And, oh, if Johnny Lynch, your former teammate, Dave Moore, and the 49ers find a way on Saturday right. night to win that game against the Packers, and now Sunday's game is to host the yes. NFC title game, how bonkers will that be? We'll see, boys. We will see. Well, Dave Moore, 15-year NFL veteran, 13-year buck, 15th year on the Buccaneer radio broadcast, along with TJ and Gene. Have a great broadcast on Sunday. 
We really Thank appreciate you. your time. You did a great job reminiscing 79, 99, 2000. Dave had a great career as well. He was a part of what the longest, you were the long snapper for the longest field goal in Buccaneer history. How about Matt that? Bryant. Yeah. People don't realize Dave was a great long snapper in his career as well. When they didn't have just long snappers on the roster, they usually had a reserve player, a tight end kind of guy was the long snapper. So major kudos to you. By the way, there's a couple of moments, including the first ever Buccaneer touchdown in Raymond James Stadium history. The guy we have on the podcast caught it from Trent Dilfer on a one-handed stab. The highlight is on buckpower.com. Watching Dave Moore catch the first ever Buccaneer touchdown in the new stadium. The man, the man's been around some big time moments. Let's hope there's some more here in this January in this playoff season, 83. Uh, yeah, that would be great. I appreciate you guys having me. I enjoyed it. Awesome. Dave, well, Buccaneer fans, you are listening to the no quarter given podcast. We were going to have a NFC championship edition. No quarter given podcast, win or lose, but I'm very confident the Buccaneers are going to get it done. Maybe going to Green Bay, maybe hosting the Raymond James, we will see. But again, Dave Moore, Paul Stewart, TJ Reeves, Peter Blake, great work. And Buccaneer fans, we will see you next time on the No Quarter Given Podcast. Let's go, Bucks! Go, Bucks! Go, Bucks! Go, Bucks! Join us again soon for another preview of a scallywag Buccaneer foe when we come back with another No Quarter Given Podcast. And make sure for the best in historical buck coverage, you go to buckpower.com. And as always, keep listening to the buckpower.com podcast network.